Welcome back to the Sci-Fi FX Podcast. This is Big Dog, and I'm here with Troy. Hello. And today we're doing book reviews. Uh, <laughs> we had a lot of books come in. I-, I cannot believe the amount of stuff the Titan had sent us, and we decided to be lazy bums and decided to record it instead of uh, typing up each individual review. Uh, we also had a benefit. Uh, Ken Mazer, I believe it was. Uh, yes. He sent us a book as well to review, and I believe that's where we're going to kick this thing off. And yeah, yeah, I I think that's up on yours, Troy. Yeah, well, you know, we'd like to start off with the new writers because, you know, just because. So uh, basically, Ken Mazur, for you, you probably don't know the name, but you've probably heard him, whether you know it or not. Uh, this guy's been a musician for the past 20 years. He's recorded with the likes of Robert Palmer, Tina Turner, Marvin Gaye, just to name a few. And now he does a lot of TV compositions. Uh, story goes, over the course of the last 20 years, he also has been writing a book in the vein of Philip K. Dick and William Gibson, because that's the kind of stuff he likes to read. Good problem okay. to have, right? So... Um, for those of you who want to write a book and you think you don't have the time, look to this guy for inspiration. He got it. He got it done. He calls this book the Zap Jacket. It's Z X A P. So anyway, from the book jacket here, not the Zap Jacket, the book jacket of the Zap Jacket. <laughs> okay, it says when Gumshoe New York City detective Joe Zinsky hunts his partner's killers, he finds himself, he finds his 2047 Acid Rain world has more dangers than even the the top of the line Mark IV Zap jacket can fend off. As gangs rather in the as gangs gather in the toxic box across the Hudson, Zinsky follows one of his his one piece of evidence: an orange Mark Mark IV decorated in odd gang graffiti. The trail drags him into the complex and dangerous world of industrialist Maxwell Zapp and his artificial intelligence empire. Supremely powerful and ambitious, not even Zapp is prepared for the horrific revelation awaiting him in, in an unsuspected world. So, like I said, basically this guy, he's writing in the vein of Philip K. Dick and William Gibson. Now, it's easy to compare him to that, just because it's very obviously this dystopian future that is right out of their their nightmares. But of course, he's a brand new writer. Nobody's going to put anybody, nobody's going to put even the most seasoned writer up on that yeah. pedestal. Having said that, this is a good book. This is a very good book. I think Dick and Gibson would be proud. See, he brought something new to that genre. It's called fun. <laughs> I, I'll be the first to admit, I think the world of Dick and Gibson, I, I think they're great writers. I also think they're very depressing. Yeah. What, you know, what Mazur did was he took that depressing scenario and gave it the Humphrey Bogart twist. So it's kind of your Sam Spade detective novel in the bad future. But it's just fun. It works. Well, it sounds like it could be good then. I mean, especially for a first attempt. Well, and if you mix Sam Spade with the Lex Luthor from the comic books, that's essentially what you get. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Because that's kind of where Zap is. He's that Lex Luthor puppet master type. Ah. Well, uh, 
I guess I'm going to have to give that one a try then, because I, I knew that we, when we got the email, I wasn't sure what to make of it. But now that you know, I'm listening to this, I think maybe that would be worth giving it a shot just to see what it's like. It is. I'm actually looking forward to the sequel, which he says is underway. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. And I so sincerely hope that he has great success in the future for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this is... Uh, that this actually does any groundbreaking. But like I say, it's like right in that vein. So if, if you like the style of Dick and Gibson and everything that they brought, if you like that dark Blade Runner feel, this has it. But it still has that element of, you know, this this has a lot more fun to it than, you know, it's, it's not just right. make you think, but it's... Right, I'm not. I'm not going to say it's like laugh out loud funny or anything uh, like that, but you can tell that he had a lot of fun writing it. It translates well. well. That's a good thing. That's important. And the the chapters are short. It. I mean, this is the kind of thing you can breeze through it in a Sunday afternoon. That's what I like to hear about a book. Because our next one up is Echo Rising, which I had the pleasure to read. And it was not something you could read just lazily on a Sunday. This was a very, very big book. Uh, it's written by Danny Ware. Uh, her name is Daniela. I'm assuming that's how she pronounces it, Danny. And the book cover says, Echo is an unlikely savior, a savage, gleeful, cynical rebel assassin. He operates out of high-tech London, making his own rules in a repressed and subdued society. When the biggest job of his life goes horribly wrong, Echo awakes in a world he doesn't recognize. A world without tech, weapons, cams, cables, anything that makes sense to him. Can this be his own creation? A virtual Rorschach designed just for him? Or is it something much more? Echo finds himself immersed in a world just as troubled as his own, striving to conquer his deepest fears and save it from extinction. If Echo can win through, he might just learn to care or break the program and get home. I'm going to be very honest with you and say when I started reading this book, I was not sure what to expect. Uh, one of the blurbs on the cover says Game of Thrones meets the Matrix. That's high Yeah, I, I'm not going to say that that's the, that was what I actually thought. It was more like a uh, version of Shadowrun meets D&D &D in a way. I mean, it goes from that cyberpunk to medieval feeling in no time flat. I suppose that could be interpreted as Matrix meets Game Yeah, of but there, there's other certain circumstances, because when you think about these sorts of things, the setup for Matrix made me think one thing, because I like the setup far better than the execution there. And you, you know how I feel <laughs> about Game of Thrones, so... Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's one of those hard sells. Um... For this one, it's not actually my cup of tea, per se. Um, I will say that Miss Ware gives it her all trying to get this out there. I really see the effort. Um, I will also say that the F word is used more times in the first 50 pages than is necessary. Uh, I, I mean, when she says the F word, we're talking at least 50 F words for 50 pages, maybe more. So not for kids. For kids. <laughs> if you are a fan of this sort of thing, 
I highly recommend it. I love fish out of water stories. Uh, just understand that much like uh, Mr. Mazur's book, this is going to be a trilogy of books, or there is going to be a sequel at least. This will be a trilogy. Um, Echo Burning's coming out in October. This is a very thick book to get through. I might have to give this one another shot just to see kind of how I feel about it later on, but for the most part, yeah, if it's if it's a known trilogy, then book one probably has a lot of setup. Yeah, then. it's a it's going to be a lot. It is a lot of setup in here, and yeah, I know the payoff will come eventually. It's just it's one of those things where setup like this, I I, I kind of didn't like Echo anyway. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> The, the hero of the story is an obnoxious punk, and that's the point of it. Everybody knows he's an obnoxious punk. Well, maybe that gives him Yeah, and go. that's exactly it. They're, they're leaving that room to do this. This is, this is something okay. that Miss Ware, much like Mr. Mazur, has been working on for many years, 20-something years. And, you know, eventually she just wanted to put this all out on, in a book to make sure. Uh, also, another thing, if you are uh, something of an Anglophile, this might help a lot too, because a lot of this is using English terminology or British terminology that uh, you may not under otherwise understand. I think since Doctor Who's popular enough, nobody has any problems. <laughs> yeah, I definitely hope so. Because even some of this stuff was giving me a little bit of a double look just to make sure I was understanding the terms. Well, that's because you're American. You're not supposed yeah, to. Yeah, but you know up. me, man. I would keep up with most of this British stuff. Oh, I know. I just yep. got to rise it. Well, from Echo Rising, we move on to Deadbeat Makes You Stronger by Guy Adams. This one was a lot more fun to read. Uh, Guy Adams has a kind of a uh, history with me anyway. I wrote up a article on his uh gold tiger which is coming out uh in october i believe um it's sort of like a james bond thing this but this novel came out a lot of fun to read it uh the synopsis for this one max and tom are old old friends who used to be actors Tom now owns a jazz nightclub called deadbeat which as well as being their source of income is also something of an in-joke in a churchyard one night, they see men loading a coffin into the back of a van. But why take a, a full coffin away from a graveyard? And, more importantly, why is the occupant still breathing? Tom and Max are on the case. There is a really good in-joke as to why this is called Deadbeat. Uh, it's not just the nightclub, but I can't really tell you much about this one, because if I do, it just blows spoilers everywhere on this. You know, <laughs> you gotta love it when they can do that. Yeah, that's that's kind of one of the things that sucks about doing these sorts of things. You want to tell more than you really can. Kind of like going back to game. Of yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, one of the reviewers I read for this actually mentioned that it reminds him a lot of Keystone Cops. Um, I, I could see, I can see that sort of thing. This has got, this has got shades of hilarity all over it's supposed to be kind of a supernatural crime noir thing and uh i've been reading a lot of the dresden files lately so this was kind of right up my alley for this sort of thing um i will say that at 
there's an expense from the hilarity ads uh, a little bit here. They uh, kind of mark down the crime side of it a little bit. And you kind of wish that was more of the focus than it really is, but it's a fun read. It's like you said, it's a Sunday afternoon read thing. It's not that difficult. It's just breeze through it, have a few laughs, and wait till the next uh, uh, novel in the Deadbeat series comes out. I, I do like me some good Yeah, it, it's... It's a start here. I'm not going to say that this is the greatest noir thing I've ever I've ever read, but Mr. Adams put out quite a uh, quite a fun novel, and really, that's what I like about it that it's that much fun. Well, and if it goes to series, then it's got the potential yep, to build. Yep, and he can always make sure that the next time it's a little more noirish than it comes across here. But like I said, it's a start. We'll see where it goes. Cool. Well, this next one, I'm going to read the synopsis because I'm not even going to tell you what it's called. I want to see if you can take a wild guess. It says, a young boy learns that he has extraordinary powers and that he is not of this earth. As he approaches adulthood, he journeys to discover where he came from and what he was sent here to accomplish. But then the world faces an unimaginable threat, an invading force the likes of which has never been encountered before. When this occurs, the hero within him must emerge if he is to save the world from annihilation and become the symbol of hope for all humanity. Hmm. What's that well, sound like? To me, it sounds like Superman, but if that's the case, then you either got to... Yeah, it, it's not Superman. It's what they're laughingly calling Superman now. It's Man of Steel. We got the official novelization. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in that yeah. camp. I'm, I'm in that camp. That's not Superman, as I would interpret him. But having said that, I've learned long ago to judge the novelization completely differently from the movie. So that said, this one is by Greg Cox, who is better known to me as one of the more daring Star Trek writers of recent years. Um, if you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend his Rise and Fall of Khan and Singh trilogy. So... What this book does that the movie obviously did not do is give you characterization because, you know, on, on screen, they got to show you all the disaster porn. So this gives you things like what's inside the characters' heads, you know, stuff like that. Gives you the story behind the, the big explosions. And I'm not going to tell you that it made me like it any better. But at least I kind of understood a little better what they were trying to achieve. So, such is the power of Greg Cox. Well, I mean, man's got to eat, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the novel itself is very well written. So if you were in that camp that loved Man of Steel, you might pick up this novel and see uh, get kind of a more in-depth look at it. Well, at least that's something. So, but that is, as they say, that, because, uh, like I said, I can't hold this, the faults in the screenplay against the novelization. <laughs> yeah. One births the other. Yeah, that's, uh, this could go on for a very long time on a tirade about something I really don't want to talk about. Yeah, this is book reviews. Exactly. So, 
let's move into arguably the, the two big bombs that we've got here. In this case, bomb being a good thing. It's these were major announcements for us. The next one on our list is a, is no stranger to the writing world, Stephen King. Now, this one I was interested in, okay, because I'm not a big Stephen King fan, but first and foremost, I know this one is not the normal huge book that he's been putting out, like, forever. Well, it's not. The... the um... The audiobook clocks in at about seven and a half oh, hours. Wow. And I went through this one in just a little over six. Because I tend to read a little faster than the average right. narrator. Um, anyway, this, this is Joyland. So um, it's one of their it's one of Titan's hard case crime novels. And like you said, it's it's tiny <laughs> by comparison of the rodent killers that he usually puts out. It's it's really it's more akin in both in size and in spirit to his old Bachman books, if you're familiar with those. I've, the ones he did early on with under the name of Richard. Yeah, Bachman. I've heard of them. I, I was a I was a fan of those. When I found out later it was Stephen King, it kind of crushed me because <laughs> by that point I'd gotten to know that he wasn't really my style because he tends to go on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, as a man can write a horror story about a lamp that kills people. He really can. But imagine, if you will, a book that has all the concise and fast pace of a of a Richard Bachman book, but all the literary mastery of Stephen King, as he is today. That's Joyland. My mind is blown. Exactly. So here's here's what it has to say. It says college student Devin Jones took the uh, took the summer job at Joyland hoping to forget the girl that broke his heart. But he wound up facing something far more terrible, the legacy of a vicious murder, the fate of a dying child, and dark truths about life and what comes after that would change his world forever. A riveting story about love and loss, about growing up and growing old, and about those who don't get to do either because death comes for them before their time. Joyland to Stephen King is at the peak of his storytelling powers. With all the emotional impact of, of King masterpieces such as The Green Mile and The Shawshank Redemption, Joyland is at once a mystery, a horror story, and a bittersweet coming-of-age novel, one that will leave even the most hard-boiled reader profoundly moved. And that right there is actually the key to the story. It's, as a coming-of-age novel, this is excellent. So it's like Stand By Me in that respect. Very much so. Wow. So if that with a little bit of horror mixed in. And I, I got to also call out some kudos for the cover art. The the artist that they've been doing for these hard case novels, Glenn Orbick, this guy's amazing. If you haven't seen the cover for this, jump online. We'll, we'll put the covers and links and whatnot for all these books in the show notes. But uh, you don't see work like this anymore. Usually you see some bad photoshopping. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. This is a gorgeous painting. Yeah, that really does harken back to the days of the pulp art, stuff like that, which I'm a huge fan of. And the book feels like that, too. So it's, you know, it's just, it's the perfect match. Whoever put this marketing together. Well, you know, it seems to me that, you know, especially with, like, like you say, Zap Jacket, Deadbeat, Joyland, there's a real return to this sort of thing. I mean, even the, even the Mickey Spillane novel, uh, yeah, yeah, Complex, Complex 90. 90. I mean, 
that's that's big stuff. I mean, we're we're seeing a resurgence of this, and it's nice to see that Stephen King jumped back on that bandwagon. King isn't a one-trick pony, contrary to popular belief. Well, I mean, it's just it's <laughs> nice to see. I mean, I won't. I don't want to put anybody down by saying he makes it a legitimate thing. It's just it's nice to see somebody that's got. Uh, well, I mean, even Guy Adams has an established name. He's done a lot of stuff for BBC, amongst sure. other things. But sure, but King is one of those names. That exactly. Resonates. You know, people that don't read. No exactly. That's it's one of those things that you hear him over the radio or you hear his name somewhere and you know exactly what he's famous for. And it's nice to see him lending his, lending his voice over. Cause I'd love to see more people take up this chant. Cause you know, those old pulp stories were something else. And the nice thing about it, like you say, you know, you put that in line with, with some of the other books in that genre, that gives a lot of notice to some of the other books. Yeah. So, you know, Maybe people like Max Allen Collins, who is a bestseller in his own right, but doesn't seem to have that household recognition. Yeah, that's exactly it. Max Allen Collins, especially, yeah, I know I mentioned Mickey Spillane, but you know, with him being the hand-chosen successor of you know, the Mike Hammer stuff and Dick Tracy and all that, I mean, this sort of thing, I'd love to see this sort of thing give him another boost, you know? It, it goes all around him. It's one of those things, nothing at, nothing at this point can hurt that genre, except for a big-name writer with a bomb. Yeah. Which, by all accounts, this book is doing very well. Well, I'm glad to hear it, because I'd love to see some more of this maybe affect, I don't know, TV, movies, or something. You know, get some of this hard-boiled stuff and, you know, let people have what they want and leave the superheroes alone. Yeah, but, you, you know, that's the thing, though. I Something like this... The, the thing that makes Stephen King who he is, is the writing style. And people haven't figured this out yet. His stuff doesn't translate well to the screen. Well, what I'm saying in this particular case isn't necessarily, say, his book per se. Uh, but giving rise to the idea of doing the hard-boiled crime, you know, something sure. of a detective story, that sort of thing. Because how long has it been since we had a, a Sam Spade on screen? I mean, a real one. Well, um, I would say probably the last time Mike Hammer yeah, was out there. Yeah, it's been a long time now. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm glad Stacey Keach keeps that alive on audio. I mean, Max Allen Collins and Stacey yeah. Keach, I'm glad they're, they're keeping that dream going. But I mean, all we got after that's what, Lethal Weapon? yeah. No, that that's really that's buddy cop. That's you know that's not hard boiled detective. And I know that Riggs has got a quite the body count, but it's it's not the same. No, no. Not, not by far. But uh, yeah, but Joyland is definitely not quite in that vein either. You know, it's yeah, it well, it it kind of defies explanation. It's kind of a mix, but. Like I say, I think it succeeds best as as a coming of age story with a little bit of horror in it. Well, even though there's a lot of bit of horror in it. <laughs> well, I know it's kind of redundant to say this, but I'm glad that he's got another success on his hands. And it's, you know, it's one of those that it's a great jumping on point for new fans too, because it's he doesn't build off of the hundreds of other things that he's done, and it's 
it's very likely. No. Yeah. I mean, it, it reads about as fast as the zap, zap jack. Well, does. that's at least something. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to get into jump into something like it, which is. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you can't really compare the two other than size because, you know, they're completely right. different genres. But it's fun. And like you, I'm not a big fan of Stephen King either. You know, like I say, most of the time, I just think he's unnecessarily long-winded, which for me kind of destroys the suspense he's building yeah. up. But this, it moves. It's good. Well, that's a good thing, then. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. So, okay, we've run that one into the uh, Yeah, we've, uh, we've taken all the joy out of it. <laughs> okay, well... Last but not least, I, I saved this one. I, I think it's the best for last, personally, but it's um, just a matter of taste on me. This is uh, Flash Gordon, The Fall of Ning. It's the third in the set of Sunday, Sunday Strip reprints. This one going from 1941 to 1944. Uh, it's the original Sunday Strips from Alex Raymond and Don Moore. Lovingly remastered. They didn't look this good ever. Yeah, I mean, the, the colors are nice and updated. The artwork, back in the golden, back in the golden age of comics, they, you know, you'd see this sort of artwork on the covers and not on the inside. This yeah. is this is all the way through those strips. I mean, somebody, yeah, somebody the, did a labor of love. Yeah, the only thing that even compares to this kind of stuff back then was the old Buck Rogers or Prince Valiant yeah. comics. I mean, th this is the kind of stuff that you show this to anybody that appreciates comics and just outright tell them your stuff is crap. Allow me to show you the Holy Grail. That, that's what this is. This is the Holy Grail of old world science fiction comics. I mean, it makes one hell of an art study. It, it really does. And, I, I can't tell you. I mean, even just just looking at the story itself, they don't tell stories like this anymore. When when you add in the art on that, you're you're talking the kind of stuff that it's like staring into the ark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't care what happens next. You just got to see. Uh, I've had a chance to thumb through that one. I was really impressed. I have not read a lot of those old Flash Gordon strips. I love the look of them. And the story, from what I'm to understand, is bar none. Yeah, I, I grew up reading some of the dailies, you know, some of the reprint dailies and some of the comics, but the Sunday strips had always eluded me. So to get my hands on these after all these years... I, I can't tell you what a precious gift that yeah, well, is. Tom Green's been really good to us on that front. I, I've got to give thanks out to Titan Books and Tom Green in specifics for thinking about sci-fi effects and everything that he's given us over the course of our time with him. Because, I mean, this isn't the first Flash Gordon book you've got. Uh, no, I got the first one in the set, too, so I'm, I'm going to have to spring for the second one just to complete yeah. the set. Yeah, I mean, it, it, they're well worth the buy. Yeah, and the like like we said, the artwork is not just top notch, but you could you can literally flip through the pages, study the muscle flow, the hair, the everything about this. It's oh, just yeah. gorgeous. 
almost any page, almost any frame on any page is frame worthy. Well, yeah, I mean, because they're using an old world aesthetic to it, but in a comic form. It's it's gorgeous. And when you get a good story to go along with that, that just that's the perfect marriage, right? Yeah, I, I know people talk about comics these days, and you know, and uh, you you're supposed to have that perfect the perfect storm. This truly is the perfect storm you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, Alex Raymond was one of those prodigies that should never be. Yeah, he is to sci-fi comics what Robert E. Howard was to fantasy literature. It's one of those flash in the pan. Great stuff. Oh, my God, where to go? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. And these days, I mean, when you're looking at a, a long story, I mean, I remember back when I was really getting hot and heavy into it during the uh, death of Superman, you had some really great illustration work done there, but then you got those issues from those artists you really weren't that fond of. You know, and, and you know... I, I know those issues well, and, I mean, no offense to these guys, but even the best of them look like they're finger painting compared to what's in this book. Well, yeah, I mean, even the, but it makes those wor the bad ones stand out that much worse. This is, this is a constant flow of just spot-on work. I mean, I, I can't remember anything in those pages that I would have gone... I would have done this differently because I really wouldn't have. I, I don't think there's any way I could have done that better. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like when you when you talk about the difference between cartoons and animated yeah. series. This is the difference between a comic strip and something like this. Yeah, something. Yeah, I mean, people were looking at something like that. You're not watching Garfield and Friends here. You're you're watching, you know, Batman Beyond or Justice League or something like that. It's. It's a thing yep. of beauty. And full color. I just Words can't do it justice. We're sitting here going on and on like idiots, but words cannot do it justice. Yeah, that's very true. I, I know that we get passionate about this stuff, but that's because we love it so much. And, you know, it, but, you know, it's, it's, it's works like that that inspire the, the New Guard, which, you know, that's why we have... Danny Ware, Ken Mazur, you know, it's because of what these guys did. Yeah, it is. Yeah, this is why I was always thankful to them for sending the uh, book on Tarzan, the Centennial book, and you know, because sure. I know that Edgar Rice Burroughs is one of my inspirations, and the artwork that was done in those by several great artists and everybody from Joe Jisco down. I, there's so many different artists for that, and I, I look at that and just stand in marveled amazement between the words that Burroughs put down and the art that, you know, was inspired from those pages. So, sure. you know, seeing something by the creator, you know, it's just, it's just a thing of beauty. It really is. But... We could gush about this for the next hour and still have more to go. Okay, well, in that case, let's go ahead and call it, because uh, that's, that's pretty much the end of the day. Uh, I do want to give a special shout-out to Ken Mazur. Thank you for finding us and having having a little faith in us for pushing your book out for us. It was a lot of fun, and 
special thanks to to Tom Green over at Titan for well just giving us all these all these cool books to read that I would otherwise not find. Yeah, I mean he's that's half the fun. You know, Titan has sent us so much stuff over the time. Like I said, there was a Tarzan book. I know that you got several that you were really fond of. Uh, the Supernatural books, I was always happy to get. Uh, the Plague Nation uh, in uh, Plague Town. Dana Fredsty, she was a sweetheart to meet. Uh, Max Hot Yeah, uh, these people were great to talk to. I, I can't thank them enough for looking out for us the way they have. So hopefully this little podcast will give them an extra push in all directions because one of the ulterior motives, in addition to being too lazy to write up all these, was that we also looked at the numbers on the site and discovered that more of you listen to the podcast than actually read our reviews. So... <laughs> ah, captive audience, you we're fooled. You're listening to us right now. So call, call it an experiment. Yeah. And, you know... Drop a line. Let us know if there's anything out there you've read, or if you've read any of these, let us know yep. what you thought. So, but beyond that, like I say, we're kind of out of books. Yep. I'm looking around. I don't see any more books. Well, then, I guess we're going to call this one a wrap. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Troy, for coming on and telling me what you thought about these other books. And thanks for helping me plow uh, through them. I tried to, but you uh, apparently got through more of these than I did. <laughs> I cheat. <laughs> yeah, well, I tried to, but you can't always manage that. Um, so we'll see you all later, and have a good one. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please visit our home on the web at scififx.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at SciFiFX, and we are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SciFiFX. Like us on Facebook, it's an easy way to be kept up to date with all the latest sci-fi news, and you'll be entered to win a free prize. You can also stream our podcast using Stitcher Smart Radio on any mobile device with an internet connection running on iOS, Android, WebOS, or on BlackBerry smartphones. Follow the Fellowship of the Geeks on Twitter at Fellowship Geeks. Check out Geekdom Nation on the web at geekdomnation.com and follow Geekdom Nation on Twitter at Geekdom Nation. <laughs>